From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, I'm speaking with a clinical psychologist who hosts some group camps for children and young adults. Dr. Barbara Metelman is a member of the psychology faculty at Lemoyne College, and she has a private child and adolescent psychology practice. She's here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio. Thank you for being here, Dr. Metelman. Thank you for inviting me today. Tell us about Mystical Acres. So Mystical Acres is a small little horse farm in Pompey, New York. Um, and basically what I do there is basically offer sort of group camps or sort of, kind of group therapy sessions for children and adolescents who may need some boosting of skills for social skills or learning how to cope with stress and anxiety. And so it's a horse camp. There's horses or part there of There are horses and there's a donkey named Dash that's there. Uh, he's on the Facebook page for Mystical Acres. All right. Well, I noticed one of your sessions is focused on coping with stress and anxiety. Is this something that you're seeing more frequently in children and adolescents these days? Yes, we are seeing an increase in, in anxiety disorders in children and adolescents. The prevalence rates are right around 8 to 10 percent. We know in general that anxiety is something that can be genetically linked, but also with today's pressures of social media and sort of also lack of sort of sometimes family stability and changes in expectations, the children are more likely to experience anxiety. Things such as tests, taking tests, um, making friends, have, making sure they're saying the right thing to friends or doing the right things, wearing the right clothing can also affect their uh, anxiety levels. So you said 8 to 10% prevalence. So 8 to 10% of children and adolescents have, I guess, diagnosable stress and anxiety? That's correct. Because to me, it seems like it would be higher. Well, it depends what the research study shows and how they're, how they're defining it sometimes. But we're okay. seeing that, again, that's more diagnosable. Again, you may have some anxiety. All of us have some anxiety at any given time. The question is, is it really a level of, of impairment that's being caused by it and worthy of a diagnosis? Or something that's ongoing or chronic? Right, that's correct. Okay. Well, um, how do you go about advising children and adolescents to cope with stress and anxiety? I imagine the techniques are different for a young child versus a young adult. Oh, absolutely. Things are definitely different. But but first of all, the goal is to first find out maybe what some of the triggers are for anxiety, whether it's maybe some for young children, maybe a separation from their parent. So they may be going to school for the first time, going to kindergarten or preschool program. Or maybe there's a change in family status. Maybe the parents have separated or they've moved to a new home. Uh, so first of all, is to kind of identify what's kind of causing that. For your older children, maybe it can again be related to friendship issues or social anxiety, or they may have certain fears of taking tests or maybe making a mistake type of thing. Adolescents kind of the same way as well, kind of fear of, of taking tests or fear of perfectionism, that, that they're going to do something wrong, or again, they're having problems with their social relatedness sometimes, which we're seeing a much more increase in social anxiety, I think kind of partially due because we rely so heavily on social media that having a conversation these days is, is coming, coming kind of a lost art sometimes. Having a conversation um, with the idea that it will be reported on social media one way or that you want to present yourself in a way that's favorable, is that what you mean? I think both both of those are very much the part of what kind of goes in through a child's mind these days or an adolescent's mind when they're trying to have a conversation. If they're getting it correct or not correct, who's going to hear it, what's going to be said about it, um, how they're going to be evaluated. So that evaluation piece plays a big role in anxiety disorders in children. It's got to be, I can't even imagine. I mean, this generation of children growing up with social media, you and I, you know, this was introduced way after we were past that, but that, it's got to be really, really tough. That's very true because they often feel they can't escape it and they also feel they need to keep up with it all the time. So also times children and adolescents have a very difficult time putting their phones away, often use the excuse, well, it's a great alarm clock and keep it in their bedrooms, uh, which again, we know that the vibrating phone often keeps children up at night, which means they have poor sleep hygiene, which also then affects their level of anxiety as well. 
Well, do you have um, guidelines in terms of um, social media use? Does that help? Is that part of the recommended you know, treatment for anxiety and stress? I definitely have guidelines for social media. Sometimes it's hard to enforce those guidelines. But one of the, the um, things I feel very strongly about is that telephones should not be, along with laptops, should not be in a children or adolescent's bedroom at nighttime. Okay. Just to reduce the uh, lure. The lure, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, some stress and anxiety, because um, you mentioned like with children and separation anxiety, is some stress and anxiety normal? Oh, absolutely. We all, get, as well as some, as, we all have some level of anxiety again, too, and we know that a certain level of anxiety motivates us. For example, we have an upcoming test. It helps us to make sure we study for the test and take care of what we need to take care of. However, too much anxiety, uh, what it does is it starts to interfere with our performance and really causes impairment. So when someone comes to you after they've realized that, that this is impacting their life in a negative way, what are some of the interventions that you um, are able to recommend? So part of the intervention was first we first oftentimes started with thinking about helping them identify what's causing the stress or anxiety. We kind of use almost kind of like a ladder approaching what's kind of a low stressor to a higher stressor, looking again also to try and discover how often they are experiencing that level of stress with that certain particular trigger. And then we start trying to think about what makes sense for that child. Some kids and adolescents do very well at more calming strategies, such as learning to breathe deeply and slowly. Other kids do better at more active things, so exercise more, uh, doing more active things like drumming or, again, sort of ways to sort of help them sort of take their mind off of things of that nature. Uh, there are a variety of different techniques can be used from co- cognitive behavioral therapy approaches to guided imagery to mindfulness to kind of using things such as yoga and, uh, as, as well. And then again, too, the, the good news is, is there are some applications on, on, online on, on phones that can help sort of help teach kids breathing strategies to help them sort of do activities that help them decrease their anxiety. For example, there's one uh, app that basically shows a picture that's black and white, and the child rubs their finger over top of it that comes up to a color, it colors it in. So it kind of becomes a pretty flower or a very pretty uh, scene as well. So there are some positive things to some of the things that are the advances that have been made through technology as well. So is the goal to sort of um, prevent the triggers or to recognize the triggers and act on them? The goal is to recognize the triggers and act on them. We know we can't reduce uh, some of the different triggers. For example, we, kids have to take tests. Kids have to do right. different things as they grow up. And they have to engage in friendships and, and, and social conversations. So the more important thing is how to really sort of regulate our emotions and realize that we are in, in charge of the thoughts that we have and to make sure that we can find ways to sort of reduce those anxious feelings and anxious thoughts. Um, the one thing about anxiety is it oftentimes triggers uh, physiological responses. We often get the sweaty palms, increased uh, heart rate, the breathing gets more shallow and again more rapid. So the goal is to get helping children and adolescents to learn how to control not only the physiological symptoms that go along with anxiety, but also realizing they are in charge of their thoughts and they can think about how they can sort of best manage them. And those, it seems like, are, are easy triggers to recognize. You know, if you feel your palms starting to get itchy or sweaty. Absolutely. So it's, again, it's a very much a very um, present type of disorder. Basically, you can't sort of ignore it very easily. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Barbara Metelman. She's a psychologist and a member of the Lemoyne College um, Psychology faculty. And we're talking about, she, she hosts some group camps um, over the summer that are more like um, group therapy in the outdoors. Now, you have a couple uh, of weeks devoted to improving social skill session um, I noticed one is aimed at younger kids and one is aimed at older kids. So what are the social skills that you're working on and 
How is your approach different for the different weeks? So first of all, we do, it's a very small camp, so we have no more than 10 to 12 children maximum. And I also have a co-therapist uh, that also works with me, Paul Cyrus, who's also a Montessori-trained teacher and a social worker. Um, so what we typically do is do some teaching, direct teaching of skills, talk about kind of what is a social skill, what are some different examples of them. And then we engage in sort of activities that are basically more hands-on. So we'll engage in sort of game-like activities that, that help children learn those skills, learn to, for example about cooperation, about waiting your turn, about able to sort of making good eye contact when you're speaking to someone. Um, and we also give them also a chance to kind of practice those skills through those different exercises we have. And also to, we also try to challenge them over the three days that we typically see them so they start learning to accept help as well. We might do, for example, a slacker line where they've got to learn to keep their balance as they go across a 50-foot line uh, and again be able to accept someone who helps them make sure they don't fall off and they really that they can ask for support and use support. Uh, we also give some free time to, to make sure the children realize and adolescents realize that there is an opportunity to really just kind of take some time for yourself. Whether it be, again, what we typically offer at the farm is things like feeding the horses or petting them or get engaging in kite flying or an art activity. So again, it's important to think about how you take care of your leisure time activities and how they actually will take care of you as well. And so again, the, the activities vary by the children's ages. Again, we make them much more appropriate for uh, what they're doing, but they kind of serve a little bit of the same skill set to be developed, but it's just at development different different approaches for getting those to, to develop. Well, in terms of improving social skills and teaching those um, lessons to children, is there a role for the parents in this? Absolutely. The more the parents are, can be actively involved in their children's sort of um, treatment or kind of knowledge about what the child needs to work on is really important because whether getting a, a camp that sort of focuses on those skills or the child is getting actually an individual therapy, parents need to really be part of that, pra- that practice as far as helping them to cope with it cope with the skills and to basically learn how those to use those skills more more regularly because again they, they have to really sort of practice skills in order to, to be able to use them when they need them and that's really something a parent's job to really sort of help to help them sort of practice those skills and use them more often okay I also saw that you have a week uh, devoted to building executive functioning skills. So what's that about? So executive functioning skills are, are, are skills that really help us to sort of things like to plan, to initiate, to organize, to evaluate our efforts. So if you're working on a research report or learn, working to study on it for a test or even cleaning your, your bedroom, for example, how do you sort of go about it? How do you start, start finding a plan to do it? How do you then initiate it? How do you evaluate your success rate? And how do you make some changes based upon where the needs are? We know the executive functioning uh, skills are oftentimes associated with ADHD or children with learning difficulties, as well as children who may be on the autism spectrum as well. So ADHD, um, attention deficit, hyperactivity. So this might be good for a child who needs um, help with focusing. That's correct. Okay. Well, now getting back to Mystical Acres, um, being sort of, I can see where it's like group therapy um, goals. What is the value of doing this sort of work outdoors versus in an indoors in an office or something it allows the kids some freedom it allows them again to, to have a kind of camp experience some of these children may not be successful in a more traditional camp where for example they may have over 100 to 200 children enrolled in a camp setting this is a very small uh, group setting there's only again 12 to 15 children typically um, and that basically allows them to have a lot of adult um, supervision as well as gives them a choice to do things such as kite flying fishing in a pond frog catching interacting with some of the the, the farm animals that are there it seems to be a setting that seems to, to promote sort of uh, skill building in a more relaxed atmosphere as opposed to sitting in a chair and basically having to sort of look at a therapist or, or uh, and sort of answer questions and do sort of things. So it's kind of much more, um, gives a much more relaxed ability to build those skills. It seems like a, a kid who's reluctant to do like a group therapy thing might be a little more enticed to come 
to something that's uh, a camp. That's what we typically have found. And also, again, too, we also can be very flexible. Again, if you're in a large camp setting, let's say, where there's a lot of activities that are planned at a certain time schedule, it's hard to be flexible and say, okay, why don't you sit out for a few minutes because they've got to move on to the next activity, whereas we can be much more flexible as how we can adjust to the needs of that individual child. Does this sort of work have a better outcome when school is not in session? In other words, doing this over the summer, is that like a strategic... Well, if I, we've tried to do things uh, during the school year. Unfortunately, with children's schedules, it's very hard to find time where we get enough children to participate. And a goal with the, is to have enough children so they can sort of learn from each other and realize that they're not alone, uh, whether they're, whether they're struggling with anxiety issues or uh, planning issues for executive functioning skills. So unfortunately, the summertime presents with a, an opportune time to help to build those skills, so hopefully by school they can kind of use those skills ideally we'd like to offer something during the school year but again schedules kind of really really sort of make that very challenging to do um and these are three day long day camps so it's actually from for eight from typically they're about eight thirty in the morning till either 12 30 or one o'clock so they're just half a day so kids get a chance to do something this way for a little bit and then spend the rest of the day the way they want to spend it do you think that um three days is enough time to sort of um have an effect or or are you more um intent on planting a seed um is is like new information for these kids coming it can be a little bit about some kids have come back on repeated years so it's kind of building those skills from prior years or or from their prior therapist um uh, suggestions it oftentimes plants a seed and helps them realize they, they can be in control of different emotions or they can make different changes in how they sort of carry out an activity so i think it helps to plant a seed and helps them to realize that they can be more competent uh, in those skills and is it too late for someone to sign up for this year, or how would they go about doing that? Uh, they can definitely sign up for this year. We still have some openings across the different camp settings. They can either go to the Facebook page, look at uh, Mystical Acres' Facebook page to learn more about that, or they can call my private practice number. Uh, the Facebook page would be under Mystical Acres? That's correct. Uh, and these camps take place in July, right? July and August. July and August. Good to know. Let me ask you how you got involved in child psychology. How, what drew you to this profession? <laughs> Um, that's a great question. Um, I always kind of enjoyed working with children and adolescents. I've always had an interest in psychology. As a kid, I actually planned, played it around about being a psychologist, so it's something that's kind of been a long-term interest. I really find it very um, an important role to have. I think a lot of children have a lot of capacity to make improvements in their lives, and it's always kind of fun to work with young children and adolescents to help them sort of be the best person that they can be and provide them with an atmosphere that they can sort of talk about things that are stressful for them in a supportive manner. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here and telling us about this. You're very welcome. My guest has been Dr. Barbara Metalman. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.